Mentors Collective. I don't know if you knew this yet, but sales is probably the most important aspect of your business. So if you're like me and you run a B2B company, which means you sell to other businesses or coaches or consultants, then the sales process is a little bit different. And if you can master this, if you can get other businesses to say yes to your offer, and you can systemize that so you can scale a sales team, you're going to be absolutely unstoppable. Us at our agency, we've got a nine-person sales team now, really intricate dealings. And let me tell you, it is not as easy as go close that person. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes. So if you're building a sales team or it's just you and you're ready to hire your first salesperson, you're trying to improve a sales team, implement systems, learn how to close more businesses, this episode is going to be for you. So my guest on the show, Matt Cavanaugh, is an expert in B2B sales and building sales systems. And we're going to be walking you through step-by-step -step how to do that in your company. Matt, thank you for joining me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on, man. Thanks for having me. All right, Matt, sell me this pen. I'm just kidding. All right, right uh, on. <laughs> so, go ahead. <laughs> what, what is the secret to closing other businesses on your offer? How do you sell to entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders? Well, I think there's several different ways you can go about it, right? So there's like what you just presented, right? The sell me this pen, the Jordan Belfort, you know, Grant Cardone method, where you're trying to create interest on the fly and go through the whole process, which is doable, but I wouldn't advise it, right? I think one thing that digital marketers also like probably know better than most salespeople is that it's very easy to sell to a hungry audience, right? To somebody that really wants what you have to, to sell. So I, I would say the number one thing that like has helped me in my growth is getting to a place where I'm working on warmer and warmer leads and, and, you know, working from that scenario. So I think the first thing is taking a step back and realizing I don't have to convince Jay to want something. I just have to find out what is Jay's problem? What's his pain point? The solution oftentimes will come from the prospect themselves. So a lot of times, like in the sell me the pen example, hopefully you've set up proper targeting and things on the back end that make you realize this dude needs a pen and wants a pen. Um, but, but I would say that the greatest thing that people can do is unlock the pain and that the person has and really allow them to experience that so that they really, really, truly want the, uh, the solution that you have. Yeah, it's funny. I saw Jordan Belfort on an interview explaining that scene in the movie. And for anyone who's ever uh, given that sell me the pen situation, the wrong answer is to start selling the pen and start listing all of the different bullet points of why they should buy the pen. The right answer is to start asking questions and identify that, that pain point uh, so that you can then use that pain point to sell them the pen. Uh, so the, a lot of different pain points in business. Uh, you can either help someone make money, you can save them money. How do you identify those pain points? And then how do you use them to close? Yeah, the so I'll give you some examples. So when I got into real estate, there was actually some lead sources that you could put together that would, the pain point was already there. So in real estate, like if you're an agent, and you want to sell some houses, a lot of times you can go after people who are already trying to sell their house. It just didn't work. They call those expires or for sell by owners. These are people that have raised their hand and said, Hey, I want to sell my house. And either I'm not, I don't know any professionals that are good enough to actually list it with them or it didn't work. So I would say in your niche, if there is something like that, where people have already to some degree raised their hand, that's the ideal situation. Um, the other things like when you get into like retail stores, you know, Alex Hermosi gives the example of like, the, the hot dog stand that's open after the game and they're the only one that are open and it's, it's close to the stadium. So 
I would say maybe it's it's proximity or maybe there's some way of identifying a situation where people have problems or they're connected to problems that you can go after. Maybe one more example might be, maybe you have a referral partner strategy where a business that serves a similar client to you interacts with your client at the point of pain. So for example, again, going back to real estate, if, if you have a good relationships with divorce attorneys, almost all divorces where there's home ownership lead to a selling of a home. So you can form relationships where people can send you clients at the point where you're going to be most able to help them. Great point. It's much easier to close a deal when they actually need the thing you're selling and feel pain, and you're going to relieve their pain by giving them that thing or service. Uh, 100%. It's like said than done, but like you said, building partnerships or being able to be the first one with that data point. Like well, as soon as you get in a car accident, you file an insurance claim, boom, all the legal notes started to come in from all the personal injury attorneys that want to want to serve you. Uh, so definitely that, that, that's really good advice. Thank you. Now, building a B2B sales team usually starts with the founder selling something. There's probably a lot of people listening right now that are exactly there. They're doing all of the sales calls themselves, all the prospecting calls themselves. Is there anything important that they should know? as they're hiring that first salesperson and what systems need to be in place in order to make that work? Well, I think first and foremost, like the founder should record all of their calls as much as they humanly can. Like some of the mentors that I have have literally, I mean, they started recording back when we didn't have the technology that we have today. They were recording on like cassette tapes and they would have boxes full. But I think like, you know, when we talk about training and, and, training another person, you want to be able to give them a roadmap. And best sales are done in conversational bits where you're actually working with the prospect along the lines of how they're thinking. That can be hard to train in the form of a tight script. And so one of the things you could do for your sales rep is maybe make a general map of a conversation, but give them then 50 or 100 conversations they can listen to and give some outline. So one of the things that we help do with sales teams if we're teaching or growing is what is the general concepts that need to be hit? What things have to be done in what orders, if any? And then what are examples of, you know, like recordings that cover this specific thing and then general sales calls. So if you have an index of 50 or 100 calls plus specific audio bits and written text on what people should do, you can get a sales rep in two to three weeks pretty proficient without actually having to have them waste money on live sales calls. Once you can see the quality is there, then you can start putting them on and, and they'll close pretty good. Okay, great. And most people don't know what to pay their salespeople. A lot of people do commission only, base plus commission. Uh, where do you find the right salespeople? So what, what are some of these things that you should think about as you're hiring your first sales rep and creating an offer for them to come on board? How do you attract a good person? Where do you source that sales rep? And then what should their commission structure look like? So I think, you know, if you have a decent network of people that you know, a lot of times your network's going to be able to produce some decent options for you because you're going to be able then to attest a lot of times to the character of the individual. But, but I would say like the, one of maybe the hidden gems is I think a lot of times when you talk about especially male entrepreneurs, they're usually looking for like hungry male salesmen. Yes. I, I think sometimes female salespeople get overlooked. Um, especially like if you're talking about maybe someone like, like a single mom or things like that, where there's just this innate drive to succeed and a need to succeed. Um, 
if you can get someone that's service oriented, but has conviction about the thing that you offer, conviction to me is like when it comes to the creating of interest, that's where things really, really unlock. Let's, let's dive a little deeper into that conviction. We've noticed this in our company too. How do you get your salespeople amped up about the product that they're selling and keep them that way? Because it radiates when you're on a sales call and somebody is passionate about what they're selling you. I mean, if you tell me beyond a shadow of a doubt that I need this thing and I can tell that you are so confident and sure that this thing is going to make me money and help my business, how can I not buy it? Uh, but as soon as salespeople lose conviction, I feel like that's when I've seen my sales team start to suffer, especially individual sales reps. So what is conviction? Why is it important? And how do you keep conviction high in a sales team? So conviction in my estimation is, is a couple factors. First of all, it's does, do I b truly believe that the thing that I'm selling to somebody, will it help them? And will it help them to the degree that I'm telling it will help them? If I'm telling him, Hey, you know, I'm selling you this lead generation product and it's going to make you 10 K a month. How often does that happen? If it happens every time and it makes them 30 K a month, I'm going to be pretty able to passionately say, yeah, no, trust me on this. This is going to make you 10 K a month versus it's like deep down. I know we have a 50% success rate. That's going to be like, well, maybe it works for you. And maybe they still try and push ahead like this will, but they, they kind of know that the truth of the situation is a little bit different. So does the product actually in service do what it's being promised that it will do? And the second thing I think conviction can also come from, does the problem that's being solved by the service, has it positively impacted that sales rep? Like if, if their heart's behind it, the mission of what it's doing, then I think it can take it to a next level. So for example, like we help people get more freedom by freeing up their time, particularly in the sales aspect. I know you guys are doing some really similar things in that way. Freedom for me is like a virtue that's down at my core. Like I want to be free. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want other people to have to be told what to do. So for me, if I know if I sell this client on this and they get the benefit of it, they will be a more free person to choose their lifestyle. So for me, it's, it's, it's more than even the, the money that they'll make. It's, it's what their life will look like. And so there's that extra level of like, no, like, let's not get off this call and not do business together. Let's make this happen so that you can have that freedom. 100%. And having a good product, a good service is probably the easiest way to maintain high conviction where salespeople can actually see the clients that they sell having success. Nothing breeds conviction like proof. Uh, but what are some things, and, and I've implemented a few things in our company, because sometimes salesperson closes somebody, never hears from them again, never sees them again, doesn't track their progress. Uh, and this happens a lot. So what are some things that a company can do to change that? Well, I mean, first of all, it's just setting the stage. So first of all, like, what is your communication case? Has your company even decided what communication cadence will be? And then have they decided who will be communicating and at what times? So we're a big fan of having your a zero inbox system and a calendar management system. And whether you run that or your assistant runs that, it's essentially everything that you're going to do throughout a day and a week is already placed on your calendar. And so if you have times blocked and you know, okay, I'm blocking this amount of time for my client service or my team is, then you know, I can, I can promise one call a week or one call a month or whatever that service looks like. So I think first and foremost, if you align the customer's expectations to reality, it's already going to create a much happier process for the client. And if they don't like that, you're only going to call them once a month, they'll choose to not buy from you at the beginning. So I think number one is being clear with yourself and your client. What is it that we're offering Two, calendaring that so that it actually happens? Um, and then if the client's still not happy, well, then maybe you have to adjust your product or service to get it to a level where they're happy with what's going on.
Yeah, there's such a universal dilemma between marketing, sales, and operations. Marketing's all flashy to get people in the door, get them opted in, get them onto the sales call. Then the salesperson's like, well, yeah, kind of. Uh, we, we can definitely do that. We, we can do that. We can do that. They sell them. And then ops is like, well, here's, <laughs> here's what exactly. we're, what's really going on. I see this all the time as a consumer. And you try and balance this as a business owner. Because, yeah, you need to get people in the door with the marketing. You need to close the deal. But you also need to deliver a service that's going to keep somebody as a client forever. Uh, so definitely not having that be too distorted one way or the other is a, is a good way to, to keep morale high. Uh, another thing that we do is in our weekly meetings, all hands, we'll go through big, big wins. So the, person, the ops team, so yeah, this client was in Forbes, this one was in Oprah, this one was on this talk show. And the salespeople get to hear this over and over again. Like, wow, like they're crushing this for our clients. This is awesome. Here's some stuff I can use on the next next sales call. He got that. He got that. Uh, and I've noticed that that keeps morale really high. Before they were included in those calls, before we implemented that, they had no idea if this client was successful or what good stuff was happening for all they knew. And I think this is human nature. We tend to assume bad if we don't know. If they're oblivious, we assume bad. So you need to show them good and have it always in their face. A hundred percent. Like you look at the government, right? Anytime we don't know what's going on, right? People result to conspiracy theories. Um, and things of that nature. So transparency breeds trust. Lack of transparency can lead your clients thinking all kinds of things, sometimes even conspiracies about you. 100%. All right, Matt, what are some sales systems that you can put in place to keep everything operating smoothly, organized? Because there's a lot more that goes into it than you book a sales call on somebody's calendar and they have the sales call. Like that's one little thing, but there's follow-up, there's maintenance, there's information that you need to keep on a client. So what are some tools and practices that you put in place uh, to keep that functional and running smoothly? So there's a, a several different softwares that you can use. One of which is like we use Miro, which is a way of mapping out the process. And then we yeah. also like to use Google Docs and spreadsheets and we tie those together. So essentially when I'm launching a business, I'm thinking, okay, I like to kind of sell it at, at the beginning just to set the foundation. And so at the beginning, I'm like, okay, what objections are we getting? And every time we get an objection, I'm just putting in there. And then I just write down the response that I get. And if, the re mm. and if those objections are handled well, then that becomes the default answer. And so really, if you're thinking about hiring and systemizing your sales process, it's just about documenting every objection. You do not have to do this. You could have a virtual assistant or a US-based assistant go through to listen to your recordings. What is every objection that client gave me? And write it down. What was my response? How did that go? And it really only takes maybe a couple weeks to a couple months to really document the process, whether it be how do we get the client to book in a call? How do we get them to show up? How do we get the conversion all the way out? And that all that process, one, allows you to understand what you're doing, what your results are in case you don't want to give up sales, or B, it becomes an easy transfer to your team um, if you go through that process. It's great advice. And now with tools like MeetGeek is what we use. It just joins in all of our sales team Zoom calls and transcribes them automatically. You don't even need a VA. You can throw that into ChatGPT with a prompt and say, find the objections and answers. <laughs> How'd it go? Uh, so exactly. Got to leverage the technology. Uh, what about CRMs, uh, pipelines, opportunity pipelines? Uh, do you have a recommended yeah. CRM? Is there a way that you set it up with uh, opportunities? What do you do there? hundred percent. I think we're aligned on this. I think you guys use go high level. Uh, we, we do, do as well. Um, and so go high level, you know, 
I wanted to fight it for a long time for a few years because it was clunky and we use yeah. follow-up boss for forever. And that is just streamlined and effective and beautiful. But when it comes to website building automations in the full package, uh, go high level to me is, is kind of unmatched right now. Um, and you know, I, I guess I kind of feel like there's probably ADD coders at the top. And the benefit of that right, is you get more features than any other software by a lot. Um, and so the, what we've been able to do is just absolutely incredible as far as like linking from payments and sites and, you know, all the other things, plus, uh, integrations into things like OpenAI. So, uh, we don't actually use the one that's native, but we've been really working a lot on what is an automated response process to all of our clients concerns and our prospects concerns by creating a knowledge based document, linking that through Zapier to OpenAI and getting an automatic feedback loop. So, we're getting more and more close to being really able to automate most of the sales process uh, and have really like minimal, if any, loss in quality. What is your experience with sales AIs? I mean, this is one of the, the big popular products that's coming down the road. These conversational AI bots that can sell, can book calendars, and now even uh, AI tools that will do sales calls for you and sales prospecting over the phone. Absolutely insane what's coming down the pipeline. I'd love to hear your opinion on some of these tools. I think I think it's it's coming. And I think to some degree it's almost here. So yeah. I think the gap between it being fully here and and being in the future is the ability for us to communicate. And I I think to some degree it could be through prompts, but it's it's our ability to communicate can you uh, communicate the concepts to the AI? So like for example, I've written probably 40 pages of you know, uh, documents surrounding our sales process. And so, you know, at the beginning, you could have these short GPT prompts. That was never, in my opinion, going to work that well. Now you could have a lot more context. So it's like, here's all the rules. Here's all the processes. Here's a ton of examples of sales calls. It's getting close. Like, I still don't think it's generally intelligent uh, enough. But like, I mean, when you compare it to, if I hired a new salesperson, most of our stuff is functioning, in my opinion, better than a new rep. Probably better, maybe better than an average rep. I think it's got a long ways to go to get to like a high level rep strategy. So, but I think like, my goodness, like you could hire less reps that are of much higher skill and you could replace like setters and a lot of things in your business. And I think it also, as a lot of things might, it might be able to increase response speeds in your business if you have a high lead flow coming in. Definitely. Uh, we're definitely using it for text-based replies. Uh, right now, it's kind of all just going to draft and getting approved by humans who can actually lay some eyes on it, but it is unbelievably good. Uh, and like you yeah. said, the more information that you can feed it and it can learn from, the better it's going to get. It's only going to get better and better. I'm curious to see how yeah. the, the calling AIs do. To be able to think, like spit out voice replies in real time, I've tested Air AI. I don't think it's quite there yet. I can tell it's an AI. And I don't know about you, when I know that I'm talking to an AI without telling me that it's an AI, I got a problem. <laughs> I, I'm, I agree. I'm, immediate, I'm immediately gone. Immediately, there's, there's a lack of trust, right? Because there's no transparency. So I actually have a yeah. coaching client that uses Air AI and it's the same thing. And so I, I, my advice is, you know, if you're using Air AI or something like that right now, just tell people. Like, because that actually could create intrigue too. Like, hey, just so you know, this is, you know, especially if you're running like a lead generation agency or a sales agency, I think everybody's enamored with AI. So they might be like, oh, hey, I'll sit through this call just to see how they do it, um, which can then right. still give you a way of, of, of selling your product to them. 
Yeah. And for simple scripts, like the BDRs who are qualifying people over and over again, like, yeah, what are your goals? What's your revenue right now? That's stuff that is going to be, I think, 2024, that will all be AI. Uh, but yeah. I think closing, that's really the personal relationship. That's really identifying individual pain points, and it's nuanced. I don't know if that will ever get replaced by AI, at least not in the next few years. What do you, what do you think? I think? I think we're at least a couple years out. Um, yeah, because I think it's going to take a lot of time for the greatest, you know, sales trainers and coaches and people who are really trying to get this right to make progress. But I still think it, it kind of feels like, like it's never, I, it's hard to think that the AI will ever feel like we feel, right? It's just trying to mimic. It's a mimicking prediction tool is how AI works. So it's only as good as the prediction. And I, I so I think it's always going to be a little bit off. It's like, and people, it's just, can people tell? So I think, can we get it to fool most people? I think at some point we probably can, but I don't think yeah. it actually really is going to be a feeling organism. And um, so, but I think once it's better than who people would hire, then it'll get adopted in mass. 100%. Hey, we'll see. I'm testing every new thing that comes out. Uh, but Matt, yeah. uh, kind of final, final minutes here. I'd love to ask about some of your favorite sales tools outside of Go High Level. This can be automations. This can be tactics. What are you doing right now that other people aren't really doing and maybe they should be? Yeah, I think that for me, I've really enjoyed my time in, I was a high school math teacher and, and was involved in the ministry. So I really enjoy like the psychological element of sales. Like you talk about like understanding people's pain points. Like I love the ability to relate to people on deeper levels. So for me, I get a lot of kick out of like hearing the, what people are saying between the lines and trying to understand more of like what it is and how they make decisions. So for me, I would say like my greatest tool in a high ticket sales situation is understanding psychology at a really deep level. So if people are not, I mean, this is kind of the opposite of AI, right? Like we're going hyper deep on psychology. So I say for those that maybe have some of their tech dialed in, um, they can go and really understand psychology at a much deeper level, and that will make them less likely to be replaced by AI in the future. Okay, great answer, Matt. Uh, for people that want to follow you uh, on social media or get some additional help, where is the best place to do that? Yeah, they can go to mattcavy.com or uh, they can find me at Matt Cavanaugh on Facebook. I can send you the, obviously, the social media links to, to send out to them. Sounds great. If you're looking for Matt, I will put that down in the show notes or description. Head on down there and go give Matt a follow. Matt, thank you so much for shooting the shit for a little bit with me about sales. I love this stuff uh, and excited to hopefully see some people implement what you were talking about. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Jay.